This week on Rotten or Righteous, we come to the realization... Why don't you start eating some beef jerky and some jalapeno cheese poppers together? You're Next thing basically you know, you're a Gentile. a baby goat in its mother's milk. That's the natural progression. You're like, you get tired of that old beef jerky. You're like, give me a baby goat. <laughs> Bust this out real quick. We're going to have a funnier, faster podcast. Here we go. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back to Rotten or Righteous, the only podcast that would cut off its left hand if that would cause it to be rich the rest of its life. With me, as always, he betrayed me. He spit on our podcast, and I can't forgive it. I'll never forgive it. He's Luke Taylor. It was my dog's fault. Mm -hmm. And me, well, I sneak into the kitchen and eat meat and cheese every night. I'm Zach Geiler. (laughs) But by the way, you may have noticed that Scott's not here with us today, dear listeners, and that's because he is hidden in his laboratory trying to invent kosher pork. A.K.A. we killed him. Yes, that's what that means. Inventing kosher pork is a euphemism for murder. Thank you so much for joining us today, as Luke and I are going to tear down, build back up, and once again knock down the third episode of the second season of The Chosen, titled Matthew 424. What a title. (laughs) But before we do that, please, if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, give us a quick rating. If you have anything to say to us or have a recommendation that you'd like us to review, send us an email at rottenerrighteous at gmail.com. All right, before we dive into our summary today, it is time for everyone's favorite podcast within a podcast, the world-famous show where we locate and reveal where that slippery demon boy known as the devil is hiding. That's right. It's time for Where's Satan At? (laughs) I just want to know, where is Satan right now? I've always wondered, what's the devil look like? Well, of course, there are all manner of lesser imps and demons, Pete, but the great Satan himself is red and scaly with a bifurcated tail, and he carries a hay fork. Oh, no. No, sir. He's white. As white as you folks. All these people want to know. A long, long time ago in a galaxy far away, the devil came for your children. That's right, Star Wars is where Satan's at this week. (laughs) I believe it. Only in the new ones, though. Whoever gave Disney, because Disney's basically the devil. I like the new ones so much better than the the prequel trilogy. Gross. I don't care. I just want a good Star Wars movie. I don't care who makes it. Never mind. Those aren't even good. They're better than 1, 2, and 3. No way. I'd rather watch terrible choreographed sword fights than watch the horrid disaster that is J.J. Abrams' Star Wars. Okay, that's all right. I mean, I forgot who my persona was. Ugh, you're right. I totally hate Star Wars. It's satanic. Grr. It is, because Disney owns it, and they're from Satan. Now That's where Satan's at. Now End be- of segments. <laughs> 
Now, to be fair, according to Satanic Watchdog and personal hero of mine, Tex Mar, several movies <laughs> have been dubbed New Age and contain blatant references to the occult. In his 1980s book, Ravaged by the New Age, <laughs> in his book, Terrible. Tex, in his book, Ravaged by the New Age, Tex Mar, a personal hero of mine, pointed out a lot of movies that were satanic or dealing with the occult, including Ghostbusters, Dune, E.T., Superman IV, The Quest for Peace, and Robocop. But no filmmaker is more nefarious than the pioneer of New Age cinema himself, George Lucas. But Zach, some of you may say, I love Star Wars. And you would say that, you brainwashed masses, but it's time to wake up. George Lucas is clearly using Star Wars, specifically Return of the Jedi, to train our children to replace the God of the Bible with the mysterious force that controls the universe. You know how everyone says, may God be with you all the time, right? Like Mr. Mar wrote in his book, how just everyone walks around like, hey, may God be with you, because I've heard that all the time. Back in the 80s, you know, they said that all the time. Well, old George changed may God be with you to may the force be with you. Coincidence? I think not. <laughs> Mar goes on to say that one of the Star Wars characters, which almost every person recognizes, is, or is a master named Yoda. Yoda is grotesque in appearance, a dwarf-like being with strangely shaped ears, but he is also portrayed as friendly and being endowed with uncanny wisdom. Yoda is a good, even lovable, almost godlike character. How did George Lucas come up with the idea for Yoda? Astonishingly, I recently came across an illustration in the satanic book Secret Teachings of All Ages that bears a remarkable resemblance to Yoda. You see? I'm not crazy, and neither is Tex Mar. Clearly, the only explanation of how Yoda as a character exists is that Lucas found an obscure book from the 20s and saw a picture and said, Boom, I'm gonna make that demon a Jedi. Yeah, I don't see any connections online between Yoda and this book. Okay, sheeple, but you better listen because it's there. <laughs> and who is this demon that Yoda is clearly based on? None other than the notorious, world-famous Mephistopheles, of course, who I know, we all know. But please, let me be redundant and explain who this dude is. He's a magical demon that appears in an occult symbol of a satanic triangle inside of a circle that has been drawn on the floor of a magician's chamber. End quote. That is the only explanation of who he is. <laughs> How do you spell this? Is it M-E-P-H-I-S-T-O-P-H-E-L-E-S? Ding, 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 ding. You just won the National Spelling Bee. But I guarantee you, when you look up Mephistopheles, you're not going to come up with demons. You're going to come up with cat references, like the musical cats. No, I I'm, I totally got demons, but it looks nothing like Yoda. This is just like a weird-looking magician with pointy, uh, pointy horns on the top of his head. Yeah, but are you not connecting the dots, Luke and Sheeple? I, I, are you not connecting the dots? Be. Triangles are clearly the devil's... <laughs> Triangles are clearly the devil's shape. How many sides does a triangle have? Three. How many sides does two triangles have? Six. How many sides does 20 triangles have? 666. 
don't think that's how math works. <laughs> and that relates to Yoda, Al. Well, if you kind of if you kind of squint and turn your head a little bit, Yoda kind of looks triangular. Yeah, his head kind of looks like a triangle. Furthermore, in a different book on the occult about some dude named Enoch, titled "The Keys of Enoch," the finger of God is given the name Yod. Y O D. Yod is just one letter away from Yoda. Interesting. Hmm? Yada. Yeah. Clearly. Yeah, so baby baby Yoda is really just like a brainwashing to introduce demonic Yoda to the masses and make him make them love them even more. Man. Oh my gosh! Yoda's on my shirt! He appears! <laughs> 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 I didn't even see that door. No. Wait, look how his name's spelled right there. You oh, yeah. see that? Yeah, the A triangle. is behind my microphone. And it's a triangle. Uh, uh, oh, man. This shirt if, that was given to me by my son that says Yoda Best Dad? Satanic. <laughs> He's coming to get me, people. <laughs> don't you have a baby Yoda around here somewhere? I do. He's right man, there you're staring at me. Yeah, if anyone's a sheeple, you've been you've been brainwashed. I'm glad to see that you're finally coming to the light, though. So Yod is just one letter away from Yoda. And this is a quote from Texmar's book. Clearly, there can be little doubt that George Lucas was inspired by a dark force in bringing Yoda to our kids. Because that's a watertight case he just made. I mean, you can't even spell Star Wars without Satan as long as you ignore that Star Wars doesn't have the letter N in its name. So, clearly, Star Wars was always meant to indoctrinate us into replacing God with the devil. And that's where Satan at. Until next time, bottoms up, Satan laughs. In the world Satan. If I ever quit doing Rotten or Righteous, me and Luke are going to start a weird religious history podcast where we just look back at weird religious history things that people believed. Hey, that would be pretty fun. I know it would. You want to quit doing Rotten or Righteous and do that? <laughs> I mean, what? that's basically what this show is anyway. We look at the Mormons and make fun of them. We make fun of Star yeah, Wars. Yeah, well, we could save our time and not watch a movie. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, and now we're going to look at the weird and mysterious beliefs of Dallas Jenkins. Get ready, all you jinkheads. <laughs> Here comes the summary. The title of this episode is Matthew 4, verse 24, which reads, And the news about him spread throughout Syria, and they brought to him all who were ill, those suffering with various diseases and severe pain, demon-possessed people, people with epilepsy, and people who were paralyzed, and he healed them. And last week, um, I know you guys didn't hear it because we lost all the audio of Luke and Scott, but me and me and Luke joked around about the fact that the reason why this is going to take nine seasons is because Dallas Jenkins is just making each verse into an episode, but I didn't think that that was what he was really doing. And then he turns around in the next episode, <laughs> after we make that comment, is literally... <laughs> It's literally him taking one verse and just stretching it into 40 minutes of television. I hope he continues this pattern. Uh, there was no cold open this week. It just flew us straight into the theme song, which is a fun change of pace. 
And the reason for that is, like, the first 20 minutes of this episode is just one continuous shot. Which is mm-hmm. pretty impressive. I love that, whenever filmmakers decide to do that. So I, I appreciate that. And I think maybe that's the reason why I like it so much, because I used to be in a lot of theater. And it's, you know, the theater's one shot. You don't get another take at it. And so... You know, I know how much work and effort goes into preparing something like this and how if anyone messed up, how you'd have to start everything all over. And it's just impressive that they all work together like that. I was not as impressed by Dallas Jenkins in this this episode as you. Uh, Dallas, is, Dallas is getting on my bad side. Is He's he? rubbing me the wrong way. Yeah. We open up on a long line of hurt and sick people who are queuing up behind a tent. Matthew and Philip are walking beside this line and talking, and Phil finally gives Matthew a starting point to studying the Torah. He tells Matthew to study the Psalms of David, which is not in the Torah. Hey, Luke, I really want to study the Pentateuch. Got a great place for you to start, John 3.16. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just dumb. <laughs> yeah, maybe he decided he wasn't ready. Yeah, you're not ready for the Torah yet. You're Start like, look, the you need to go read some Psalms. Specifically. Some feel good. <laughs> feel good Psalms. Specifically, Phil only gives Matthew two verses of Psalm 119. Verses 1 and 8, to be precise. Verse 1 just tells you who wrote the Psalm, which is David. But Phil already told him that because he said, hey, maybe you should study a Psalm of David, but whatever. The second verse, verse 8 says, if you go up to the heavens... Or if I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. When Matthew asks for an explanation, Phil just goes, Nah, I don't really feel like it. Figure it out for yourself. Proving to me more and more that Philip is a terrible Bible tutor. He is a terrible Bible tutor because in this scene, he said, So Matthew's like, he has a very good question. He says, How do you know that, that David is writing this about everybody and he's not just writing it about himself? Like, that's a, that's a good question. And Philip goes... <laughs> It almost sounds like you don't want to believe. And that's what he says to him. It's like, what the crap? But hold on a second, because if you thought that was the dumbest thing Philip says in this scene, then you must have forgotten about the line that is, quote, learning will not bring you closer to God. Yeah. (laughs) I think the idea that he was trying to express was that, well, it was his second idea, that God isn't going to necessarily love you more because you learned a bunch of stuff. But that first part was poorly said. But we know Dallas Jenkins is secretly a heretic, and it's going to come out as The Chosen goes on. I just, I, I want to vehemently disagree with the fact that learning will not bring you closer to God. I mean, there's not going to be a Bible bull up on pearly gates, but unless you take time to study, you can't know God. <laughs> you just feel it. Right. There's this force you see in the universe. Well, there's this... And you just, just kind of get in tune with it, and that's how you... Achieve nirvana. Right. Basically, what you got to do with the Bible is you read a couple verses, then you accept Jesus into your heart, and then if you feel like you've been accepted, then you have been, but if you not, don't. But if you haven't, then you need more faith. Yeah, you just get that good, good feel. Meanwhile... When you feel the good, good, tingly feeling, you'll know. Preparation H is working when you feel the good, good, tingling feeling. Meanwhile, Jesus heals a woman of epilepsy. We know this because she shouts, Jesus just healed me of epilepsy, which I don't know. It, it's not the most well-written line in the show. <laughs> It'd be uh, hard to play that out. I mean... <laughs> He's just like, ah, I can't think of a way to portray this. Just scream it. 
Yeah, but in the verse, it talks about people with diseases and severe pain and demon possession, people with epilepsy and people who are paralyzed. He doesn't have someone following after him after going, man, that demon's finally gone. Or, hey, look, I was paralyzed, but now I'm walking. It's just one random woman that's like, I had epilepsy. Now I don't. Bye. Is that in that text? I bet there's an epileptic woman in that text. Yeah, I just read it. Was it King James? Because if it wasn't, I didn't hear it. Mm. No, it was NASB 2020. Nearby, Gross. nearby, the apostles are running themselves ragged trying to keep the line orderly and help out where they can. Matthew informs us that Jesus had just healed 60 people, and there are now over 50 people waiting for their turn with the Lord. The apostles begin to talk about how hard they're working and how Jesus' fame is starting to spread. Then they worry about how certain powerful groups will become enemies of Jesus. And they worry about what will happen when they, when these groups make a move to stop the Lord. Eventually, standing by the fire, the sons of thunder, Big James and John, start talking about the fact that they're actually, uh, are start. Excuse me, Big James and John are just talking with each other, marveling about the fact that they're actually working for the Messiah and what that actually means. And then they reflect on what they imagined it would be like when they were younger. Thomas interjects that he thought he would need military training to work with the Messiah, and Big James agrees, saying, I used to think how amazing it would be to see the Messiah kill all the Romans on my street, and I wanted to help him. I trained every day with a wooden sword. What a psychopath. I had grew up dreaming of murdering people. I mean, you I guess it's not murder, it's just war. But this reminds Rama of what she imagined as a kid, which is equally as disturbing, but for different reasons. I believed the Romans would break into my home, and I would be hiding under my bed with a knife. And just when they came to get me, my Messiah would rescue me at the last moment. And Mary Magdalene just pops up with her switchblade from last season and goes, Hey, Roman, try to get me. I'm going to cut him, Messi. We'll cut him. <laughs> why, why does she have a knife? I don't know. I don't understand why she has a knife under her bed if the Messiah is going to come save her. Well, like she sounds like she just prepped to you know, slash their Achilles tendons off. Mm-hmm. They all agree that the last thing they thought they'd be doing was watching the Messiah heal people. John says, Guys, if we're going to spend all our time healing, then when are we going to get to the fighting part? <laughs> and then Mary Mags pipes in, Guys, you all know how I'm better than you, right? Well, <laughs> I'm not having the same problems as you. You see, I don't have any expectation. So, yeah, I don't have any problems about imagining what Jesus is doing. The only thing I remember is that when I was a little girl, I heard about how someone would save us someday, but I don't remember much. Why do you guys all want a war here? I'm Mary Magdalene, and I've been given superior wisdom by God than all of you peasants. That's right. All of you stupid men. All of you stupid Jews who think that the Messiah is going to be a warrior. Well, I'm a Jew too, but I'm a better Jew than you. That's probably the only sentence you're going to be able to say you stupid Jews, and it not come off wrong. Episode title. <laughs> <laughs> Thomas answers her question by quoting the prophet Zechariah, chapter twelve or chapter 14, verses 2 through 4. I will gather all the nations to Jerusalem to fight against it. The city will be captured. The houses ransacked and the woman raped. 
Half of the city will go into exile, but the rest of the people will not be taken from the city. Then the Lord will go out and fight against these nations as he fights in the day of battle. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will split in two from east to west, forming a great valley, with half the mountain moving north and half moving south. It's interesting to note that as all the men were quoting this verse, they censored themselves. All of the more explicit aspects of that prophecy about, basically, it skips over, uh, after the city will be captured, it skips over the houses will be ransacked and the women raped. Which, I understand why you did that, because rape and cancel culture and whatnot, but you're, you're quoting the Bible. You can't. See? Dallas is, he's sketchy. He's PC. He's too PC to run the Bible. Right. And he's got all the... So were all the Jews... All the Jews were just sheeple, if you think about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, they all believe this false narrative about Jesus. They were just, they're just buying into the, the fake news. Yeah. I'm going to ask Dallas about that. I'm going to submit a question. Sometimes he does, like, Q&As. I'm going to be like, hey, why this verse? Of all the verses you could have quoted. Well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you there, Luke. Hi there, I'm Dallas Jenkins. Give me some money for season three. But uh, let me answer your question. Uh, the reason why we did is because we just found one verse that kind of said what we wanted it to say, and then we took out three or four words that I thought were just a little too uh-oh, and that, that's why we did that. See, I'm telling you, he's going to end up, he's going to be a rotten guy. Dallas is going to lead everyone, all the sheeples that love us. What's his, even uh, more awkward into heresy. What's even more awkward is in the previous episode when... Uh, they were talking about how when the Messiah comes, they're going to burn their weapons for firewood, that they're not going to be needed. So which is it? Mm-hmm. Are you wanting peace where you're burning weapons, or are you wanting war where everybody dies? But they continue airing their expectations and quoting scripture. James even pulls out a recent rabbinical prophecy, which basically says everyone will be holy when Jesus comes. Then John says that the Pharisees apparently believed that prophecy that everyone will be holy and well because not everyone is holy is one of the reasons why they didn't believe in Jesus I don't know if that fact is real or not I could literally find nothing about it online even when typing in John's quote verbatim no idea but Mary Mag speaks up again and they're like nah they got it wrong see I'm better than you and Jesus is here to make everyone holy he's not waiting for us to be holy oh wow she really knows her stuff then, Good job, feminism. Amen. Then an apostle, who I still don't know the name of, comes and gets Big James to go help with the bickering and fighting that's breaking out in the line. I may not know this apostle, but he sits down next to Thomas and airs his annoyance with the Samaritans because they are only believing in Jesus because Jesus is healing them. Turns out this apostle, who has been in pretty much every episode for two seasons, but it's just not that memorable. I looked it up on IMDb, and this is James the Less, apparently. Gun to my head, if you said name that actor and what he plays, I would never, ever in a million years would have said James the Less. But apparently, not only is he super not memorable, but he also has some form of paralysis, because I thought out of... I thought James the Less was like that little... He's like the little short dude. Mm -mm, It's that guy. I promise you it is. Oh, hmm. well, I didn't know who he was either. Yeah, and apparently he has some form of paralysis, which came out of nowhere because there's nothing visibly wrong with him. But then Thomas just asks out of the blue, hey, bro, what's wrong with you? 
So little James is upset because he believed in Jesus without being healed from his terrible, debilitating paralysis. I don't know. I, I've watched that scene and rewinded it like three times trying to figure out if he's walking with a limp or something. I see nothing wrong with this guy. So he resents the Samaritans who believe in Jesus because they were healed. Thomas then asks LJ why he hasn't asked Jesus to heal him. And James Lalesse says that he's just so afraid that if he asked Jesus for help, that Jesus would change his mind about letting James be one of the chosen. And Thomas thinks, not only are you paralyzed, but you're also pretty dumb with your reasoning. <laughs> However, we don't have time to think about that because Jesus' mother arrives at the camp. I thought it'd be funny to call Mother Mary by her Catholic names to differentiate her from Mary Mags. But when I looked it up, I had no idea how many names the Catholics have given to Mary over the years. Oh, yeah. So let's do a David Letterman top 10 names for the Mother of God list. Number 10, Mediatrix of all graces. You should use that one. Our Lady of Prompt Sucker. Yikes. The Undoer of Knots. Number seven, Our Lady, Gate of the Dawn. <laughs> is that because Jesus is the Dawn Star? Our Lady of, or number six, Our Lady of Chestachawa. Mm. Or the Black Madonna. The Black Madonna? Mm -hmm. Definitely use that one. Which I always thought was Whitney the Houston. Wait. <laughs> I look that up. The Black Madonna. I don't know where this is going to take me, but... <laughs> Number five. Our Lady of Turning Eyes. Number four. Queen Assumed into Heaven. Number three. Probably the least flattering on this list. Workshop of Incarnation. Yikes. No. That's terrible. This one's probably equally as terrible. Number two. Flower of Jesse's Root. <laughs> and the number one greatest names for the mother of God is the most holy virgin Mary queen of Poland why why is that the most popular oh no it's not the most popular it's the best because oh that was this is legitimate John II of Casimir, who ruled Poland from 1648 to 1668, officially made Queen Mary the Queen of Poland during a mass in April of 1656. And this was overseen and made canonical in the Catholic faith by papal legate Pietro Vidoni. Mary, according to Catholicism, is the actual Queen of Poland. Interesting. So anyways, everyone's super excited to see that the future Queen of Poland has arrived a day earlier than they expected. <laughs> the flower of Jesse's root then hears that Jesus has been working non-stop since the early morning. Then Mama Mary says, he's always been a hard worker. He gets that from his father. Both of them. I oh. oh boy. <laughs> then Mary jumps right in to help get dinner ready. Following the first cut of the episode, we have an end-of-a-hard-day montage 
Some apostles throw a blanket over some sticks. Thomas ties up a bag on a rack next to some onions. Peter wastes a whole canteen of water by dumping it on his head. And Mary Mags tears up some pita bread that hands out dinner. An exhausted Peter asks Andrew to ask a meaningless question. Andrew asks, what would you do, or what would you give up to have all the money you could ever want? But here's the catch. It can't be a sin. Peter, who is always a beacon of sunshine, asks, would you cut off your left hand if you would be rich for the rest of your life? And James is like, maybe a couple of fingers. Then Andrew, who is equally a beacon of sunshine, goes, what about love? Would you give up ever getting married? And James asks Peter if marriage is worth all the money in the world. Yes. Peter says, absolutely, but you'll never be so lucky to find someone like Eden. So take the money. (laughs) I thought of you. I thought of you when this scene... Mm -hmm. I was like, Zach is confirming this in his mind right now. Then Mama Mary speaks up and explains that money isn't what will make you happy. Then she asks, The poor chosen, who are living off much less money now than they were, if they are happier now or then. John snidely comments, Ask Matthew. Matthew says, (laughs) I feel better now. I don't know if that means happy. Andrew then says, sometimes I think about making fat stacks, but then I feel guilty about wanting things I don't have. Truth is, sometimes I feel like a poser, like I have to do something great, but I'm not that great. And then Rama's like, I feel you, bro. I feel like I can't make any more mistakes. How do you think I felt, says Mama Mary? But I don't feel that anymore. Because Jesus always reassured me, and God told me I shouldn't put that much pressure on myself. This whole campfire scene was like, ah, there are parts I liked. It wasn't my favorite scene in the series. See, that surprised me. I thought this, I think, honestly, this is my second favorite episode of the series. Really? Yeah. I still like the kids episode from season one the best. Yeah. I kind of like this. The parts I like about it are... It's, like, very humanizing. You know, it it really makes you feel like these are, like, regular people. Then Mary Mags asks Mama Mary an incredibly intimate question. Hey, Mama Mary, she says, how'd it feel to give birth to your son? Okay. But before Mama Mary could say, it hurt, what do you think? Mary Mags backs it up and goes, I mean, how did you know? And when did you know who he was? And then Mama Mary is like playing all coy going, oh, you all don't want to hear about the miraculous impregnation of a virgin, something that never happened in the history of the world. Let's just go to bed. <laughs> it's not that great. <laughs> but everyone is like, Seriously. the angel, the angel coming to see me, the mag- running away to Egypt. The magi. <laughs> you guys don't want to hear that. <laughs> but everyone's like, seriously, you don't think we want to hear this? And taken aback at the fact that people might want to hear her story, she is like, okay, you could twist my arm about it. Well, nothing about it was easy. I wasn't in my hometown. My mother wasn't there. There was not a midwife. Now, I'm not going to go into the gory details, but when Joseph handed me my baby, I thought I would feel completely different. 
You see, I had this disgusting placenta-covered baby, and I was like, kid, you need a bath, because you nasty. Which was is not true. That's not true. Yeah, they're gross, and they're placenta-covered, but the first thought you have when you hear your kid for the first time is not, let's get this thing a bath. The first thought you have is, okay, he's survived. That nine months of stress, and just where anything could happen, and you, you just... Our praying and everything works out right is over and he's alive and he's healthy. You don't care that he's dirty. No? No, you don't. I might care. So yeah, Mary's like, huh? I had this dirty, disgusting, slimy, stinky baby. And I'm like, ugh, gross. And he was cold and crying and he needed my help. A teenager from Nazareth. And I was like, there's no way this baby's really the son of God. But I knew he was. I feel like that would be a very conflicting moment. Like, this is like all the other babies I've seen. I thought it was going to come out glowing or something. Well, hmm. What was really weird is they knew the baby was coming because when Mary opened her legs, there was just a bright light shining from under her tunic. <laughs> I wonder... <laughs> I wonder what they did expect. I mean, that had to be weird. It had to be really weird. And what's incredible to me is, like, the Bible doesn't even talk about it. Like, they're just like, yeah, Jesus was born. Like, that's it. No, I actually kind of... It doesn't seem like... It doesn't seem like Mary or Jesus ever, like... Like, when you read the Gospels, it, it you don't get the impression that the story of Jesus' birth and, and the miraculous aspects of it were, like, a widely spread story. Because the people all think he's Joseph's son, and there's never any indication. Well, and they also think that he was born in Nazareth. So it's like, evidently, he like wasn't... Well... It doesn't seem like he was really telling the story to everybody. True, but you got to understand, too, he was about three years old, living in Bethlehem. Then Herod comes in and kills all the babies, but they escape because of the angel's warning. I bet they thought that this miraculous child that was born underneath the star three years ago in Bethlehem, was killed right along with them. Because they wouldn't have been... Maybe. You know, advertising they were leaving as they were walking out, going, hey guys, we're going down to Egypt, don't tell Herod, bye! Yeah, but don't you think he would have, like, told some people about it? Like, hey, hey, Jimmy, my best friend, right? You know who I am, Jesus? You know who I am. Okay, I got a secret, don't tell anybody. You know me, Jesus. <laughs> got your back, bro. I'm the son of God. Tight. <laughs> Like I, don't, like, I don't know. <laughs> I did kind of like this scene because, you know, it just showed Mary as a parent. I like this scene because she was just a vulnerable mom, you know, like she's talking about, about how she grew up and she knew he was the son of God and he needed her, but eventually he didn't need her as much. And then, you know, as he got older, he hasn't needed me for a long time. And then after Joseph died, Jesus had to grow up quicker because he would have been the head of the household. And then how Mary's excited to see that everything he's or excited to see everything he's doing for people. But and she's proud of him. But as a mom, it makes her sad sometimes to know that he doesn't need me as much. And I loved that scene because I think about my son growing up and it's exciting and scary and even sad uh, at times when I see him do things that he doesn't need my help anymore to do like make waffles the kid is a waffle making master at three he can climb up how does your kid make waffles he climbs up on his little stool he gets his egos he pops them in the toaster he presses it he waits for it to go down 
And my favorite is he puts his hand behind his back because I told him never to touch the, the metal part of the toaster. So he puts <laughs> his hand behind his back so that way he doesn't touch it or attempt to touch it. And then when it pops, he leans over and goes, and just blows on them for a while. And then he gently picks them up out of the toaster and eats them. So you're like, I mean, what are you even doing as a parent? If you can make his own waffles, like, what is your purpose? He doesn't need me anymore. Yeah. Uh. I mean, Mary had to be confused about what was going on. Mm-hmm. She has this kid born at, like, she's she's probably almost certainly young at the time. And then Jesus grows up like any other kid, takes 30 years to do it. The whole time she's got to be wondering what on earth God's doing. And then, you know, he takes on this ministry that's nothing like what a lot of the Jews expected. And then he gets himself killed. Bless her heart. She had to yeah. be scratching her head. But it's just cool to see her... You know, not as the Catholics paint her as this deity, but just like what she really was, a vulnerable mom who cared about her kid. And uh, after Mary, uh, Mama Mary finishes her story, she asks Peter if Jesus is almost done. And Peter's like, nah. So Mary gets up to check on her boy. The Chosen are still seated around the fire. And Thomas says, I didn't know Jesus lost a parent. I should talk to him about that, seeing as my daddy died too. Then Tom asked the rest if anyone else had lost a parent, and no one has, except, of course, for Mary Mags. Because if there is a dramatic or tragic backstory, you know Mary Mags is going to have that. (laughs) She was young when it happened, and she got so mad about the death that she ran away from home, because that's normal. (laughs) And she became a streetwalker. Then Jesus saved her. And wow, that escalated quickly, Mary Mags. I mean, it's probably what they had to do. No, except I don't think there's that's... no evidence that Mary Magdalene was actually a prostitute. Of course not, or that she was even there. But who cares? Uh, see, I kind of thought like that's a Catholic idea, but um, I kind you know Dallas seems to kind of favor the Catholic view on some things. I was surprised he didn't make Mary. I'm interested to see what he'll do with Mary in the future. Well, I think that he had to put Mary. Or give Mary that Catholic backstory because it's the only backstory we have for her. I mean, unless we're going Dan Brown and Da Vinci Code, but yeah, and he had to make her this deep, complex character. Yeah, because he needed more women in it. But you know, like, and, I, but I, the thing that annoys me is he knows how to do a woman character right. Like the character of Rama, she's not mentioned anywhere in the Bible, but she is betrothed to Thomas. Right? It makes sense that she's there. And she's not getting in the way. She doesn't know everything. She's just learning. Yeah. He just had to go with the Mary Mags. I mean, such a juicy opportunity. He had to take it. And then Mary. Yeah, I wish she, I wish she had just been some like random woman right. instead of Mary Magdalene. But then Mary Mags talks about how she forgot a lot about what she learned when she was little. And that causes all the other chosen to speak up about their schooling and how some of them liked school better than others. You know, because they're all different personalities here. And that moves the conversation into thinking about times when they rebelled as children. Turns out that Thomas was the bad boy of the group, because one time he broke Exodus twenty three nineteen 
Exodus 34.26, and Deuteronomy 14.21. I know! I'm just as shocked as you that one night Tom got up in the middle of the night and ate meat and cheese together. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Zach, Exodus 23.19, Exodus 34.26, and Deuteronomy 14.21 only forbids the cooking of a baby goat in its mother's milk. And I would say to that, you're right. But by the time the first century comes around, Jewish tradition had been added to God's law. Specifically, it is a rabbinic injunction or a man-made rule to keep milk products and meat separate so that people won't slip up and eat a baby goat that was cooked in its mother's milk. And if you feel so inclined, you can read of the actual injunction that's found in Talmud Chillin 103a through 109b. Yeah, I'll look that up. You know, it's the slippery slope. Once you start eating some beef jerky and some jalapeno cheese poppers together, you're Next thing basically you know, you're a gentile. Boiling a baby goat in its mother's milk. That's the natural progression. You're like, you get tired of that old beef jerky. You're like, give me a baby goat. The thing is, what I think Jenkins accidentally did something brilliant here. I don't think he meant to, do, meant to do this, but we have a group of Jews talking about how they rebelled, and Thomas says that he rebelled not against the actual law of Moses, but against uh, Jewish Pharisee law, or command. So instead, they felt just as guilty as breaking the laws of the Pharisees and religious leaders as they would have been about breaking the actual word of God. That's brilliant. He did not mean to do that. I don't no. think that he meant to do that <laughs> at all. But it is brilliant. But Thaddeus says Thomas... I would be a terrible Jew. Nothing Nothing is a greater joy than going to the store and buying one of those charterie boards or whatever the crap Char- those things are called. Charcuterie? Charcuterie boards, yeah. And just like eating all those in one day. So I'd be... Probably struck by lightning with uh, Nate Abbott and Bayou. But Thaddeus has Thomas beat because he was a bad Jew who ate a piece of pork once. Oh, that's Thaddeus. Okay, I thought that was James the Less. Yeah, that's Thaddeus. But they can all agree on one thing. They all really love being Jewish, but agree that keeping the old law can be exhausting. Next, Thomas moves the conversation forward by mentioning that he doesn't understand why God allowed the Roman occupation of Canaan to last so long. (laughs) Thomas then says that he'll have to ask Jesus why it's taking so long, because sometimes it's hard to feel like the chosen people. But Rama tries to comfort her boo, saying, but the wait is almost over. Hasn't the pain been worth it? To which everyone enjoys a nice, long, awkward silence, thinking about how hard it is to be a Jew in Roman-occupied Palestine. And sitting there, stewing in their doubt and impatience, Peter finally breaks the silence by speaking to Matthew and says, What about you, Matthew? Has it been difficult for you all this time? You know, dealing with the Roman occupation, following the Jewish law. Man, it just must have been exhausting for you. And Matthew's uncomfortable, but does say, My life has not been easy. Peter responds, Oh, you poor thing. What's been harder for you? Escaping Roman persecution by working for them or escaping your guilt with all the money? And now, wow, you poor persecuted trailer. Now you're catching up on Torah and wanting to follow the law? Why now? What's your excuse for not being a faithful Jew earlier? And Matthew's analytical autistic brain is overwhelmed by the question, and he stammers, What do you want me to say? I, I-, I don't know what you want from me. Then from left field, Andrew pipes in, We want an apology. Peter's right. He's about as tactful as a toddler learning to walk in a crystal stemware store, but you did choose to work for them. You personally made my life harder than it already was, and I just want you to say sorry. And Matthew's about to speak, 
when Peter interrupts and says, you know what? Just keep your mouth shut. I don't, I don't want to hear your apology. It won't change anything. It's not like I'm going to forgive you for what you've done. Then John speaks up and is like, hey, Peter, who elected you leader of this outfit? Who gave you the authority to forgive and not forgive? Furthermore, Pete, if you remember correctly, you never apologized to James and I for planning on reporting our Shabbat fishing crimes to the Romans to save your own skin. Then Peter shoots back, first off, John, I almost turned you in to save my family. So, yeah, it was worth it. Maybe when you stop living at home with mommy and daddy, you understand what it means to have a family that needs protecting. Second of all, I didn't betray you. I only thought about betraying you. And thirdly, I never would have even thought about it if Matthew didn't put me in a desperate situation where I needed to choose between being imprisoned or betraying my friends. James and John, I have repented for what I thought about doing, and I am sorry. But Matthew, you're a tax collector. You've made my life so hard. Then Thomas adds his two cents. Yeah, Matt. I know you weren't my tax collector, but you were a tax collector. Explain to me how I, a successful businessman, was always behind because of the taxes you and your kind took from me. Big James says to Thomas, listen here, new fish, you just got here. You can't be mad at Matthew until your 40-day probationary period's over. And Peter's still on a roll. And he stands up over the former tax collector and says, do you even know what it's like to be Jewish? To suffer for centuries and centuries because of it? Hold on a second. Do you, Peter? Because you're like 30 years old. How do you know what it's like to suffer for centuries? That doesn't make any sense. But I digress. Do you know what it's like to suffer for centuries and centuries because of it, but still commit to it? To protect our heritage, even though it never stops being painful? Because the one comfort we have is that we're all suffering together. But if we just wait a little longer, if we hold tight just a little more, we'll have rescue because we're chosen, all of us. And you, Matthew, betrayed that. And you spit on that. I can't forgive it. I'll never forgive it. Then Big James is on his feet telling Simon to sit down, but Andrew stands up to his brother's defense, which causes John to stand up for his brother's defense, and the four are about to throw down. <laughs> well summarized. I like how uh, they're like, the con- I like the, co- the progression of the conversation. They're like talking about all their sins and how they broke the law. And then they're like, I wonder why we've been under Roman occupation for so long. It's like, oh, maybe because we're bad Jews and God's punishing us. No, let's not think about that. Let's let's yell at Matthew some more. What surprised me is that Andrew jumped in on the whole beat up Matthew bandwagon with his brother. Because Andrew this whole time has been like calm, cool, and collected. But it just bubbles over and it just kind of caught me off guard. I feel like they have had kind of like an undercurrent with him that he's angry at Matthew, but he's usually a little bit more self-controlled, but it it was too much. John, the Apostle of Love, had to straighten him out. Right. And then they hear footsteps coming towards camp. It's Jesus, and I'm like, oh, they're all going to get it now. (laughs) Jesus is going to come and set things straight. And he gets closer, and I'm like, oh, what's he going to say? What what wisdom is he going to give to these guys for this fight that they just have? A little closer, oh, man, I can't wait. Go get him. Go get him, Jesus. I can't wait for this. And then Jesus just goes, good night, and waves, goes to his tent. And then the two sets of brothers hang their head in shame when they see the exhausted Lord. Mama Mary rushes to help her son get ready for bed by helping him remove his outer garment and sandals and washes his worn-out feet. James and John sit down. Thomas has tears in his eyes. Peter and Andrew are rendered speechless. Jesus gently kisses his mother's forehead as she tucks her son in. Jesus can be heard whispering his nightly prayers. The camera focuses on a wide shot of the chosen or coming to terms with who Jesus is as it fades to black and credits roll. The end of episode three.
Here at Rotten or Righteous, we judge every movie we watch using the SEP scale, or Stinky Snake scale, which is an acronym. stands for Scriptural Accuracy, Entertainment Value, uh, Parental Control, and Should You Watch It? Is There Any Merit? Each one of those are rated on a scale of 1 to 25. We add all that up, we average them together, and we get our total, which we give a letter grade. Okay, so, starting out, Scriptural Accuracy. Luke, where are you at here? Well, I mean, I was going to be okay with it until you mentioned the Zachariah verse. <laughs> uh, the fact that they edited it. And so I'm going to have to... Oh, on the uh, the other verse, what was the other verse about? All will be holy. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that you couldn't find it. Uh, I don't know, I'd have to look it up. I guess I won't dock them for that because I haven't looked it up yet. But... Um, Scriptural accuracy, and then he, he kind of bashed scriptural study there at the beginning. He's like, yeah, that doesn't bring you closer to God. So, um, I'm going to give it a... I'm going to get a 15. Yeah, I'm right there with you with a 15. That seems about fair for all the reasons you've already said. Entertainment value, were you entertained? Um, Not as entertained as I was with some of the episodes i want to see more of jesus bring back jesus dallas hey, you got but i understand 22 seconds of jesus in there yeah i know um but i did like the fact that you know they were having conversations like any other group of people sitting out in the on the campground would have and getting to know each other and it helps you to kind of understand the dynamics between them so that was good um i'm gonna give it a Mm, give it like an 18. Yeah, I really like this episode. Um, I like the conversations. I like that it caused me to look up something in the Talmud. Can't tell you how many times I've had to do that before. Probably none. But, you know, it's always good to get into the chillin' Talmud. And, uh, which, by the way, chillin' is the Hebrew word for um, mundane, everyday things. So that's literally what that part of the Talmud is. It's just rules about mundane, everyday things. Chillin'. All right. Chillin'. While you're chillin'. Parental control. No, I got nothing. I was thinking maybe Mary and the placenta, but I don't even feel like that's... Mm-mm. I mean, that's just life. Right. All right. Should you watch it, is there merit to watching this? Wait, you didn't give your parental control score. I gave it 25. There's nothing... Oh, okay. Uh, merit to watching it? Yeah. Um, I think we've kind of already touched on the reasons. Slightly entertaining. It's a good addition to the series. Good characters. I feel like he's got some. He's got some nice characters going that everyone relates to and building out their personalities and their stories and stuff. So uh, yeah, I'll go. Um, I'll go twenty-two. Yeah, I'm going to give it a 25. It shows Mary in a right light. It shows uh, the, the tension that probably grew between Peter and Matthew and the rest of the apostles. I don't know. I just liked it. It was a good episode. All right. When all is said and done, Luke gave it an 80. I gave it an 85. Averaging that together, we get an 83%, which according to our grading scale is an A-. And as usual, we use Carleton University's grading scale, Go Ravens. Nevermore! That was an Edgar Allan Poe Raven. 
Goth the Raven, Nevermore. Ha, got it. Cacao! <laughs> All right. <laughs> Next week, we're watching episode four. So, before we are uh, for Rotten Righteous, I'm Zach Geiler. I'm George Lucas Taylor. Um, George Lucas Taylor. Uh, hey, Luke, before we go. Hey, what? I just want to thank you uh, for finally explaining what the word mini means. It means a lot. Mini? Yeah. I mean, mini me? Yeah, it means a lot. It means a lot. The <laughs> <laughs> Stupid. (laughs) Good night, everybody. It's terrible. I learned something new today. You did? Mm Mm-hmm. You probably already knew it, but did you know that gopher wood, like what the Ark was made out of? Yeah. That the word gopher is actually a transliteration of the Hebrew word goper? No. And it's not an actual, and many scholars believe that it's related to the Greek word for cypress. Well, that's lame that the Ark would have been made out of Cypress, which makes a lot of sense because Cypress has a high resin content that makes it naturally watertight. Well, I would rather believe that the gophers chewed all the wood down for Noah. Right. (laughs) He named the tree after them. So you were drinking Monster, so clearly you've uh, not learned anything from this segment. I was looking at my monster today, and she says that the M in monster is never connected. Never. But the M on this monster is connected. Let me see. No, I lied. I thought so. It was a lie. (laughs) (laughs) Can you believe anything you hear on this show? No, no, you can't. Meanwhile, Jesus heals a woman of epilepsy. We know this because she shout, Jesus just healed me of leprosy, her epilepsy. <laughs> Sorry, let me try that again. <laughs> we know this because she shouts, Jesus just healed me of leprosy. <laughs> we know this because she shouts, Jesus just healed me of el- <laughs> What is that? <laughs> we know this because she shouts, Jesus just healed me of epilepsy. <laughs> <laughs>